Welcome back to the new Space Vision podcast sponsored by Liveio. In this episode, we were joined by Guido Baraglia from Amazon Web Services. Guido is the head of aerospace in Europe, the Middle East and Africa at AWS. In this episode, you will hear his insights on what Amazon Web Services is doing in the space ecosystem, including details about its own ground stations, processing on the ISS and free Earth observation data, how the space industry has changed over the last 20 plus years and how your company can benefit from the services provided by AWS and how AWS is working on standardizing space data access. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the new Space Vision podcast sponsored by LiveView, where we discuss new space technology, finance and innovation with executives, founders and more exciting people from the startup and new space ecosystem. I'm Dani Seidel. And I'm Sam Shivara, and we are the founders of LiveView and New Space Vision. Today, we are very excited to welcome Guido Baraglia, Head of Aerospace for Europe, the Middle East and Africa at Amazon Web Services, short AWS. Guido began his journey many years ago before rising up ranks in the industry and quickly established himself as a key player in new space. Um, so, I already mentioned the name AWS, uh, but what is AWS and what is the aerospace business unit doing at AWS? First of all, uh, Daniel Sven, thank you very much for hosting me in your podcast. It's a pleasure and it's an honor as well. Um, AWS is the cloud business of Amazon. So um, Andy Jassy many, many years ago, actually in 2006, thought that with the entire Amazon.com infrastructure, we could have actually provided uh, additional services to customers around the world by hosting applications, services, computing, database, and so on and so forth. Um, fast forward uh, 16 years, and then Amazon Web Services is the leading cloud provider, um, which cloud provider that has been serving the space market since the beginning with a number of workloads for NASA. Uh, but uh, three years ago, the leadership uh, thought that space was a specific domain and actually created the aerospace and satellite business unit where there is a mix of competences between cloud and space. And so you have people that have been launching satellite, people that have been training astronauts, people like me that has been operating in sat satellites since a uh, um, long time ago, um, the 80s actually. And, um, and the goal of this team is actually to implement space-related workloads into the cloud to make a number of things, um, speed up innovation, reduce cost, improve the delivery of services and systems, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, super exciting. And um, uh, I've seen that you uh, um, uh, graduated in electronics, right? Um, and uh, like, did you directly uh, jump into the space industry? And like, how many uh, years of experience do you have in the space ecosystem? Um, I actually jumped from the army to the uh, space industry for um, just being at the right place in the right time. Telespazio was hiring people. Uh, Telespazio has a ground station 10 kilometers from where I live. And honestly, I knew nothing about space before starting to work with uh, Telespazio. Um, I have to be grateful to them because they gave me all the basics, all the training, including um, learning how to speak proper English, um, which is something that it's quite hard, especially in primary school in Italy. 
Yeah, and then uh, you you uh, went through different corporates. Um, but before AWS, uh, you also worked at the Setcom Innovation Group, right, for around nine years. So uh, what is this organization doing and what is your role? And then uh, why did you uh, move to AWS? Well, actually, um, during the same period of time, I worked at Utilset and then uh, to a company called Kratos Communication. Uh, SAG, the, the Satcom Innovation Group, was actually a nonprofit organization that started um, in different shape and forms in 1998. It was actually formed by a um, association of a Satcom uh, operator to um, combat and mitigate the effect of interferences. Um, accidental or deliberate interferences to to SATCOM um, channels. And over the year, the organization evolved into uh, um, more related to innovation. And that's where I've been part of the board from 2010 up to the time when I joined uh, AWS and my role in the industry changed uh, change considerably. So uh, basically, how, how did you come to AWS? Like, did, did you thought of, oh, that would be interesting. What kind of opportunities do they have open? Or was it classic headhunter finding, uh, finding you? No, it's a lot less romantic than that. Um, a dear friend of mine that was working with me in Kratos moved to AWS, posted a job on LinkedIn. Um, I didn't open the job. I just forwarded it to two friends that I know we're looking at. One of those two friends just called me back 30 seconds later and he said, what are you doing? This job is perfect for you. And so I've actually reached out to my friend, asked to apply. And two months later, I was working for AWS. So again, it's a case of being in the right place at the right time and not letting the train go by without jumping on board. Nice. Um, so, I mean, being a customer of AWS uh, ourselves, uh, we see how customer-centric uh, the company is uh, is working. Um, working with uh, also traditional space companies in Europe, we also see uh, that they have a lack in customer centricity from our perspective. Um, like when you joined AWS, could you see a complete different mindset and culture there, or, or is it uh, is it not uh, that different? It is a completely different mindset. Um, Amazon is a big corporate is worldwide, has different interests, but the primary difference from any company that I've been before is about customer being the center of all the discussions. Um, one of the main activity that we are proposing to legacy customers in space at the moment is actually culture of innovation and digital transformation. How um, the infrastructure of the cloud could actually help those customers to innovate faster. Uh, one of the one of the presentations that I've been doing recently is about innovator, innovation latency. What is about latency? When when you speak about Leo and Geo and Mio, 99% of the time you end up talking about latency. My satellite is less, the latency is less than yours. Um, but the real question is, how fast can we innovate? And you guys at LiveEO are actually very, very, uh, into this one. You understand quick, how quickly innovation needs to be implemented. And AWS and the cloud in general is there to support that kind of innovation. And I have to be fairly honest, things are changing quite rapidly in the industry. Um, customer that we saw 12 months ago that pushed us back and said, not really interested into cloud. They came back six months, nine months later, a year later. And we are now talking about how cloud could be beneficial for their operation, for their infrastructure, for reducing cost, for being global, 
um, for being more effective, even from a uh, talent point of view, uh, in terms of resources, in, in terms of human resources. Yeah. So, as you already said, the industry is really changing. So the Earth observation or the general space ecosystem is really changing. But obviously, AWS is also really putting an effort into promoting its products and its services to the Earth, uh, to the space ecosystem. Why is that so? Why why does AWS see such a big um, market in the aerospace segment right now? Because we see a lot of movement from your side there as well. Um, it's actually not different from any other industry, to be fairly honest. Um, uh, the, the space is visible because it is your domain, but we operate in the same way uh, in healthcare, in insurance, in energy, in automotive, in logistics. The... Um, idea or having, for example, in our case, we do have a space accelerator. We did one in 21 and one in 22. Um, and this is a way to implement a specific support to startups that have different ideas and they have something that can be put in place. Um, credits, credits is something that we provide to a number of our customers and especially startups to be able to do one thing that for us is very common, for Amazon is very common, which is called fail fast. It doesn't matter how complex your idea is, you need to be able to prove it. And if it doesn't work, you just move to something else. So if it doesn't work, you just adapt your idea in a way that it works. And the cloud is the perfect environment to do that. Um, you guys certainly know a company called Lunar Outpost. They are building a rover to be sent onto the moon. Um, imagine how difficult it would be to just test the rover, the communication, the process and procedure to make the rover drive around on the surface of the, of the moon. And for them, they're using AWS to do those simulations, create digital twins, and actually put the virtual rover into a virtual moon and making sure that the moment they deploy the rover onto the moon, they will have considered all possible scenarios. And the cloud is there also for that, to implement new ideas, to get to a product faster. But if there is no path to a product, you also are able to fail fast with little investment and move on into something else. Yeah. So you already mentioned how AWS as a cloud operator is supporting young startups. You've mentioned the space accelerator, you've mentioned credits. Um, what are other ways you're supporting the space industry? And maybe you could also describe for the listeners which haven't heard of credits uh, for AWS, uh, what credits are. Credits is very simple, is a form that we have to support our customer getting into the cloud environment. And so credits are usage credits in terms of in terms of abilities. Customers can use credits for computing instances, for database instances to develop applications. Um, we do have a number of different type of credits depending on the uh, industry, depending on the environment, depending on many, many different things. We do have credits as well for academia. And so if you are a university, if you plan to develop something, in our case, related to space, you can actually get access to credits. Um, another element that we uh, find very uh, important is cooperate with the European Space Agency in our region. And so um, the company that are part of the business, business incubator of the European Space Agency actually had I have access to a certain amount of credits 
that could be used to develop new application, new idea, um, whatever is actually on the table from those companies. Yeah, and I mean, uh, Life here was also part of um, uh, different programs, right? The AWS Activate. Um, and uh, what, I, what I have to say is, um, like, we got first package of, of 10,000 euros back then, uh, then uh, later 100,000 100, euros when we were venture-backed. And uh, in the beginning, we thought, oh, um, how, how should we ever use 100,000 uh, euros credits in the cloud? But basically, um, because uh, of, of the innovation speed and also, also, also scaling, uh, having more customers, we even, even used it up before the first first year and, and it was really an accelerator for us. Um, but back then when we started with AWS, um, there was no aerospace group. Uh, so 2018. And then I think two or three years uh, ago, um, the, the, the team was um, uh, founded. Um, like, do you know what the trigger was internally at AWS? Why now to have this dedicated team? I, I wasn't there. I joined after and I joined in a completely different organization because I was part of the go-to-market organization for the AWS Ground Station uh, product. Um, the, uh, I, I think one of the key elements here is that space will become a pillar in everybody's life. If you think about one of the things I do sometimes when I, I do presentation, not to people that comes from space, is that I have a, I have a slide where the, the first thing is a picture from CNN, and I'm saying, you wake up in the morning, you look at the news, nine out of 10, you see a news that is actually reached you from a satellite. And then you wanna know what you're gonna do during the day. You look at the weather forecast, weather forecast is actually related 100% to space. And then you jump into a car, you punch an address and you let your navigator drive you to that address. And again, we're talking about space. And actually we could go on and on and on um, explaining to everybody how space is absolutely embedded with everyday life. And then now we get to what you're doing at LIVO, um, geospatial intelligence, the ability to under better understand our planet, our infrastructure on a planet, and our capability using space data is actually something that will be more and more fundamental uh, the more we progress into into our uh, into the ages yeah and what would you say are right now the biggest kind of applications aerospace companies are running on aws and, and where do you see the biggest trends evolving right um i i would say something that our cto Werner vogels repeat most most of the time is that data is gravity and so the ability to collect data through images, through sensors, to correlate those data, I think one of the biggest growth is actually the ability to correlate different set of data to have a higher level of intelligence. And I'm using the word intelligence the same way I would use the word knowledge. Um, and so to better understand what's going on, to better understand the effect of what's going on, uh, we, we can talk about sustainability, we can talk about transport of energy, we can talk about communication, connecting people. We can talk about something that to me is extremely important when we talk to communicate, we, we talk about communication, which is distant learning and remote medicine, telemedicine. I, I think space is primary infrastructure when we think about those two things. Um, and everything else which is actually um, there to improve the sustainability of what we're doing and is connected to space. And so connecting um, 
connecting infrastructure, maritime domain awareness, supporting uh, the agri-tech sector, supporting the energy sector, especially what, what's going on at the moment. Yeah, um, maybe let's talk a bit about um, Earth observation specifically um, in, in the next minutes, because um, uh, we know that there are a lot of initiatives uh, going on, right? Um, so one thing which was uh, really exciting to me was um, a few years ago, I had the chance uh, to meet Andy Jesse uh, here in Berlin in a small round table of, of 20 people. Um, there were two space companies. It was uh, Life here and Easy Aerospace. Uh, we could ask questions. And then I uh, talked about ground stations. And then Andy Jesse was totally passionate and he said it was one of his favorite um, um, uh, uh, yeah, products or projects internally right now. Uh, can you tell us a bit, uh, like, uh, why is AWS uh, working in the ground uh, station segment and uh, what are your plans here? Um, ground station is a service that started in May 19. Uh, we started with three sites and now we are up to 11 um, distributed worldwide. Um, The basic, the basic reasoning behind ground station is the same basic reasoning behind the cloud. And so we put um, a shared infrastructure to the availability of our customers. In this case, customers that are operating spacecraft that do Earth observation. Uh, and I say that in particular because our antenna could be used for other purposes, but the Earth observation is exactly where the initial ground station was built and is where performing at the most. Um, we are looking into um, the future of ground station, of course. We are adapting our uh, offer to the requirement of the customers, like we always do in any particular service. But at the same time, we're also looking in partnership, partnering with other ground station operator, partnering with what uh, is the, the entire market of ground station as a service. And that's to achieve what is our goal, which is better serve the customer. And then if the service, if the acquisition comes through uh, an AWS antenna, comes through a partner acquisition antenna, it doesn't really matter. It's important that the customer has the most, most um, ability to receive their data. Yeah, there is uh, um, uh, one thing about ground stations which was surprising to me. Like, I thought this problem is solved and we get data down to earth, right, on scale. I didn't see it as a problem. But then when I hear it, that uh, some uh, remote ground stations uh, still operating uh, with, with a fax, <laughs> fax machine, actually getting some requests, a uh, true story from, from which, which I hear just th this year, um, then it shows that there is still a lot uh, which which has to change, right? And also, like, just the bottleneck of getting the data down. We we have more and more data um, uh, collected in space. Um, so this this was definitely a big surprise to me. Um, it was it the same for you? Um, not really. I mean, I started working in a ground station in 1988, so I do have a bit of... A, I, I, saw, I saw where we're coming. And to be fairly honest, the first antenna I've operated was a 32-meter C-band antenna in 1988. <laughs> so we, we, we came a long way. Now we do have 40-centimeter antenna on the ground and 18-meter antenna in space. Um, go, going back to what you said, um, Amazon Web Services made a specific choice when we started the uh, uh, ground station service and was that to um, introduce the virtualization, a very pushed virtualization. So we don't have the modulation of the antenna. We digitize the radio, radio frequency. We transport the digitized radio frequency into 
um, the VPC of the customer, and then there using software-defined radio, the customer does the modulation and the coding. Um, and this is probably the most advanced system so far, or it was in 19, in terms of virtualizing as much as possible what you just mentioned, the fruition of a ground station as a service through basically a portal to make all the um, all the bookings and, and, and all the, uh, the operation on the antenna. Yeah, I think uh, standardization, I would say, is one of the big uh, a big guiding topics and guiding themes of, of AWS. And I think this is a great enabler. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how, like, exactly, just give us an overview where AWS enables interoperability and accessibility um, to these services, both on, which are very space Uh, specific, which you've just mentioned, but also more general. I think especially for the listeners who haven't had uh, contact to AWS just yet. De definitely. And to a certain extent, I wish we could push a lot harder on standardization. Um, coming from space communication where every provider has a different protocol, a different header or a different way of doing things, Uh, standardization is paramount to me. Um, the entire ground station is based on a standard. Uh, the digitized IF is ANSI Vita 49, and so the transport is standard. And that allowed the software-defined radio developer to actually align to that standard. Um, we do have partnership with a number of um, companies around the world. We do have companies like Infinity. Uh, which has developed, which is a company in Croatia and in Luxembourg, which actually developed a software-defined radio for a specific uh, demodulation type. And that software-defined radio is now available on the AWS marketplace. And I think this is the other differentiator. It's not forcing um, companies into a specific set of technologies, but having a mar marketplace where startups and legacy company can actually select what is the architecture that fit, fit the purpose and, and deploy that. And um, the, I have to admit, it, we're still um, a few years away from a standardization. But if you think, um, I remember when uh, 20, 25 years ago, I was traveling the world and I had three different uh, cellular phone, one for Europe, one for Asia, and one for America. Now with the same phone that I'm using for this, Uh, podcast, I can travel the world and connect everywhere and browse any type of browsers when I'm uh, the other side of the world. Um, I think we, with time, we'll get there with space as well. Um, it's something that we will we will have to implement uh, for the for the good of the customer, for the good of the services, or for the good of the uh, the end users. What I like about um, uh, AWS position is that basically you are somehow like the internet, you're everywhere, right? So you're connecting the entire ecosystem. And typically uh, when you're connecting all these players, uh, you're in a good position to, uh, to build the standardization, right? I mean, in Earth Observation, for example, uh, still a lot of uh, problems for us to acquire commercial satellite data on scale, um, think about the tasking. And uh, I'm really looking forward. I mean, we're also working on some initiatives uh, together with you guys. Um, uh, to, to shape the, the ecosystem. I mean, um, there, are, there are other cloud operators, uh, big cloud operators, right? Uh, like uh, Azure from Microsoft and, and Google. And um, uh, we have, uh, uh, of course, heard uh, that uh, Microsoft is also active with Azure um, in, in ground stations. Um, how do you position yourself against uh, the, these two competitors? Um, yeah, th that's something we would be really excited to hear. Yeah. Um, 
Amazon uh, as a customer-centric um, company understands what the competitors are doing, but we normally focus on the requirement from our customers. And so what we've built so far is actually coming out of you guys' needs and, and, and requirements. So, so we, we focus on that one. Um, it, it's actually quite well known that um, 90% of the new features of uh, that Amazon Web Services uh, releases every year are actually based on specific requirements from, from end users. And the other 10% is actually requirements that we develop uh, just because we understand what the end user are developing. Um, and and this, is, this is quite important. And to me, it was a big change joining AWS, being really focused on customers, their requirement, and building a solution which is fundamental in a space. You, we don't sell products or services in space. We sell solution, end-to-end -end solution. Ground station is an end-to-end -end solution. You don't have, as a satellite operator or Earth observation, you don't have to think about antennas and connectivity and modems and so on and so forth. You have a service that provides that and you focus on the mission. And to a certain extent, uh, if I'm allowed to go back 30 seconds on credits, this is also the purpose of credits. You don't have to think about financing what you're developing because you have those credits. You can focus on um, you can focus on actually developing your application, developing your workload, developing your ability. Um, while the, the financial element are taken care by the uh, by the credits. Yeah. So we've covered now the, the ground stations. There are two other topics which we would like to cover in terms of your offering um, for and in space. One uh, topic is um, the open data initiative which you have on AWS. And you've mentioned data has gravity. Uh, it's absolutely true. And Danny mentioned that we're working on something together. So LiveView and AWS together are hosting Sentinel-1 scenes uh, on AWS free to access by anyone. So if you're listening here and want to work with AWS scenes right now, we have the entire archive for Germany online. Um, but exactly, can you tell us a little bit about the open data initiative which you have and what kind of data sets there are? Um, there are a number of data, the open data uh, sets available on AWS, not necessarily only on, um, on space. Uh, you have healthcare, you have agriculture, you have a number of different data sets, genomic uh, research. In, in the case of um, in the case of space, we do have a number of Sentinel-2 and um, NOAA and Landsat uh, images. But at the same time, and this is, I think, is will be a lot more important and interesting. We're trying to develop similar infrastructure, and you 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 know very well. For um, I I don't like it particular, but democratizing the access to. Um, Earth observation images. If you you are on the end user side of the Earth observation, you know how difficult it is to find the right images for the right area of interest at the right time of the day. And if you have a contract to do that over a number of days, you know how difficult it is to find enough images to cover those those capabilities. Um, and so, uh, focusing on building the same kind of repository with a much larger number of images. An images supplier would actually be quite uh, quite of a focus for, for our team in, uh, in the coming months. Um, for many, many different initiatives uh, that I cannot share at the moment, but that would be uh, 
would be actually um, quite interesting. There, there is one which I could share, which is called Project Argus. Um, it's um, publicly available on AWS, um, where we can use different set of uh, data to actually create scenarios for space domain awareness. If you look at uh, looking into um, detecting object in space, maritime domain domain awareness, and and so on and so forth. Um, I, I think um, any to a certain extent it goes down to standardization. One of the biggest problems that companies like Lido could have is to find the right image for the right time for the right type of usage, and so SR rather than optical rather than a multi-spectral, and. Uh, Definitely one of the initiatives is, is actually implement that uh, and support that capability. Yeah, there, there are so many uh, topics we can uh, talk about. And I think the overarching uh, business model of AWS, uh, like selling storage and compute, to put it in simple words, right, is the connection point here also to the ground stations, right? We get more data down, we can store it and we can process it. Um, and then uh, there is uh, the, 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 the other topic uh, now, um, what we see, um, which is super exciting is basically in-orbit processing. So basically bringing the cloud into the orbit, right? Um, like, are you also active here? And why is actually this uh, important? Um, it, it is fundamental for a number of things. Um, I'll go from the more distance to the, the, the closest one. Imagine uh, we send astronaut to Mars and then they do have problems. Um, they cannot wait for their request to come back from Earth with an answer to operate, because otherwise they're going to be dead by the time the, uh, the answer comes back. And so you need to have edge storage, edge computing, and artificial intelligence that travel with the astronaut. Think about who wants to do asteroid mining. You need to have enough artificial intelligence stored with the robotic arm that will do mining. But let's get a lot closer. Let's think about the International Space Station. If you saw the uh, AX-1 mission, the Axiom-1 mission, the astronaut actually brought a snow cone with them. The snow cone is a shoe si shoebox size uh, edge computing from, uh, from AWS. And they actually used the snow cone for all the experiment they did in the two weeks they've been on the International Space Station, stored everything there, and then flew back with the snow cone uh, with, with, the, uh, with the Crew Dragon capsule. Um, it was the beginning. Um, the snow cone had been connected to the International Space Station and to the communication of the International Space Station. Let's think, let's, it, remaining in your Earth observation domain, um, let's see how edge computing could actually improve that. You have an optic satellite that is taking an image of Berlin. Um, nice, but the time it takes an image, 90% of Berlin is covered by cloud. You, in normal condition, do not understand that until the image is downloaded and then processed by the, the ground segment. But that's a lot of energy. It's an energy to take the picture. It's an energy to store the picture on board the satellite. It's energy to transmit the picture down to Earth. If you had a certain level of artificial intelligence on board that could actually check pixel by pixel and determine that the image was 90% covered by cloud and so unusable, the artificial intelligence could do either mask the cloud and just transmit the 
portion of Berlin that was not covering cloud or simply delete the entire picture and elect to run another um, another uh, session uh, at the following passage. Uh, it's very simplistic, I admit. It could be a lot more complex as, as, as an activity, but uh, artificial intelligence in space using edge computer will be absolutely necessary to develop some of the applications that companies like Livio are thinking. Yeah. And it just accelerate, accelerate your being effective in what you're doing. So what do you think will be uh, the bigger impact on, on Earth observation um, and, and, and space? Is it basically the, uh, the edge uh, computing in a satellite or will it be big uh, cloud facilities orbiting Earth? Um, it, 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 it's very difficult. If I knew, I would be rich and I would be do, doing something else. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a combination of all of the, the above. Um, creating an in-orbit network, having um, capability to um, analyze data in orbit, but also having the capability to have a much higher revisiting rate of the single uh, area of interest, maybe with more than one technology. Um, we know exactly what are those technologies and what are the difference between SAR, optical, and, and multispectral. And the combination of those sensors can actually support a number of different um, detection. And by detection means as well, the um, the applications that one can access and add to those, uh, to those uh, detections. Yeah, um, the last question regarding this, I would just be curious about um, what do you see as the biggest challenges for a cloud in orbit? Because I, I, I hear so many people talking about this. Uh, I'm not 100% convinced how big this, this will be. Yeah. Um, if, if I have to play stupid, plain stupid, I would say investment. Um, because anyway, to bring object into orbit, it takes resources and it takes time as well. Um, I, I think... Space is a very peculiar domain in a sense that you know very well when you start thinking about a constellation of satellites, it takes few years to think out the constellation, it takes few years to build the constellation, it takes few years to put in space and operate. And so sometimes by the time you get a satellite on in, in orbit, you are already a little too obsolete. So yeah. I, I think one of the primary element, again, is the ability to develop an idea as fast as possible without losing the quality, without losing the side of the sustainability. But going from idea to operation in less time would be paramount to be successful. And then it doesn't matter if you have an Earth observation satellite, if you have a 5G spacecraft, if you have an IoT sensor spacecraft, it's all about the fast that you can get into into operation successfully, of course, because uh, anyone can launch um, a, a washing machine into space. But then, yeah, yeah, that that's true. We we're coming to the end of our time here, unfortunately. Although there are so many topics we would like to discuss, but we have two final questions to you. First, um, you've been working in the space industry since since some time, as you already mentioned. What surprised you the most about the development of the space industry in the past? What do you think, where did you think that things might move slower, especially during the last few years? Um, what, what surprised me the most is definitely um, 
when I started in the 80s, the satellite had a very small antenna, and on the ground we had huge antennas, as I was mentioning, 32 meters. That has re that has reverse. So, for example, we do have satellite with 18 meters antenna that do S band for for uh, IoT connectivity, uh, and then you do have a uh, 30 by 60 uh, millimeter antenna on the ground that does that does that that connectivity on the other side. Um, miniaturization and um, power associated is actually the most amazing thing. When I started in 1988, an amplifier was actually three racks stuck together. <laughs> now your amplifier is the size of a laptop if you want to have a lot of power. An amplifier can be the size of an iPhone uh, if you want to use it. Um, what could be the slowdown factor definitely is the lack of standardization. Uh, but that is up to the industry to to uh, to change that. And the other thing will be the regulation. A and of course, I fully understand why regulation are there, are there to protect us from ourselves. Uh, but at the same time, regulations should align with the pace of the innovation. And so we should not be 10 years behind in regulation when the industry is already 10 years ahead. And and just be more more flexible and more um, efficient in in what we're doing. Yeah, uh, you mentioned miniaturization. Uh, like what was completely mind blowing for us is uh, we just uh, received Starlink today, and my computer is basically running right now on Starlink. Uh, we will talk more about this in the next podcast episode how that uh, went. Um, but basically, uh, this this shows uh, like miniaturization, but also the innovation and this customer centricity. What what you can actually do here and how you can impact the daily life. So uh, the final question for us is um, for to you basically. Um, I mean the space industry is booming right uh, for you um, now looking a bit further ahead right 10 20 30 years what do you think is the number one biggest opportunity um, of like for innovation in this ecosystem um, I, I, in, in 10 years I hope to be retired to be fairly honest <laughs> with you I, I'm that I'm that age so um, I, I do have a, a kind of shorter um, lifespan as far as the this industry is, is concerned. No, uh, just 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 kidding. Um, that that's a great question. I think um, going back to the moon, it's fundamental as far as uh, our industry um, exploring our own uh, orbit with commercial uh, space station is also quite interesting. Um, Jeff Bezos said it many times that one of the ideas behind uh, developing the uh, orbital capabilities is also to start looking at how to start manufacturing things that have a high impact on the planet and start doing that in, in space. Um, We're still, we're still probably some years away from that, but definitely when we don't need to launch a complete constellation of satellite, but we can just need to launch some parts because the rest is actually manufacturer, manufacturer in orbit. I think that would be a game changer for, for humanity. And uh, it will be quite a time to, to, be, to be alive as far as space is concerned. I do have, uh, I do have just a, a conclusion. Um, I do have a very young team, 
uh, you've met some of my uh, my colleagues that work in aerospace in EMEA. Um, and I keep telling to them that for me, going to work in AWS aerospace, it's like Christmas morning every morning. The <laughs> ability to see new people, yes, to see talents, to see new ideas, to see something that six months ago, nobody was thinking about it. Now is on a piece of paper, it's on a presentation, it's something that will be financed. It's, quite, it's, it's actually quite something. And uh, and it's, yeah, it's it's a great time to be in a space industry. It's probably the best time ever since since Apollo 11, actually. Yeah, what great words to really end this podcast episode because we couldn't agree uh, more. We think it's also an incredible time to be in the aerospace ecosystem. And so exactly, if everyone, if anyone wants to learn more about AWS, Live, or you, us, there's plenty of resources online. But thanks everybody for tuning in and especially thanks to you, Guido, for joining us today. Uh, for all the listeners, please make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple, click subscribe and follow Newspace Vision on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and wherever you find us online. Uh, we hope that you tune in next time. Until then, thank you very much and have a great day. Bye bye.